because I said so. Words I said I would never utter as a parent. I'm pretty sure I said them many times in raising our two sons because sometimes what else is left to say other than because I said so. My father had a saying when he told me no to any of my many requests. His saying was when he had spoken, the board had met. Now, I often tried to work my way around his nose. He said I was persistent and didn't know how to take no for an answer. At the time, I did not receive it as a compliment. I do now. Because I said so. Because who said so? Who holds authority over you? Where do you get your values, your morals, your drive, your passion? What motivates you to take action? How do you decide when to speak up and when to speak out? Who or what forms your convictions? This episode that I read to you from Acts chapter 5 marks the second time that religious leaders arrested, detained, and interrogated the apostles for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. The lilies remain today. We are in Eastertide season. Resurrection is still happening. It happens all the time. Previously, Peter and John had been imprisoned because the same religious authorities were much annoyed at their preaching Jesus' resurrection. But this time, those authorities were motivated by jealousy. The first time, the council released the, cap, the, the apostles. However, this time, an angel of the Lord discharges them. And when brought before the council, they again declare their resolve to privilege the voice of God over human authority. Privilege the voice of God over human authority. From where does your authority come? Now I'm going to confess to you that my head has been in a big old scramble this week about this text before us because I just couldn't stop thinking about the people that claim God as their sole authority, and then they speak their truths, and then those truths run counter to who I understand God to be. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? It's, it's not just me that's muddled and scrambled on that. When I think about the number of people in just my own life that I have known personally, that have said directly to my face that I am, and I quote, an abomination for simply occupying a pulpit. They are saying that based on their conviction that God is their authority. They are justifying their beliefs with scripture. Women keep silent in the church. Some of them even hate to say it. Like, it pains them to say it, because it doesn't make sense. 
Why in the world would God want to limit the number of people to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? But they don't make the rules. They just follow them. God said it. They hate it. And of course, I could go down the list of other groups that it's important to subjugate based on following the law of God. Black people, gay people, and in general, anyone that is other or different. And so my mind has been in a muddle all week trying to figure out how those who follow God's law can be on such different and often opposing pages for me. Sometimes when we're driving, especially maybe out in the country, but we're driving and we read the messages posted on church signs, like right outside in front, I am just bewildered. I almost always say the same thing when I said them. I know Russ is tired of me saying it. If that's what I believed about God or Jesus, I would not be a Christian. And yet people flood to a different message from the one I understand to be my authority. While the church may be in decline, the part of the church that is growing is evangelical fundamentalism. And that's the group that wants me to be silent. Well, I'm not going to be silent. And I'm not sorry about it. Instead, I stand with Peter and I say, I must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom the human authorities killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him as our leader, the one we are to follow. And I am witness to these things, and I will not remain silent about it. I have it on good authority. Whatever you go looking for, you will often find just that, what you're looking for. I knew someone once that could find something wrong with everything. Do y'all know her in your own life? There was no place she could go that she couldn't find something wrong. One day, I encouraged her, what would it be like if you decided to find the good in every place and every situation instead of the bad? And she said, oh, Amy, I've never thought of that before. That is a fantastic idea. I'm going to change my ways, and I'm going to start looking for the good in every situation. I lie. I wish I could tell you she had a major aha moment and changed her outlook on things. She did not. She is as bitter and as much of a pill to be around as she always was. But very often, I try to listen to my own advice when I am feeling negative and judgmental and condemning. Laura Baxley, as my witness, I did it right here this morning in front of her, judgmental and condemning and horrible. And as soon as I said it, I said, Laura, when you hear the sermon today, you're going to think, I really wish you would listen to your own preaching. But I have tried to listen to my own advice. What if I looked for the good? 
When you turn to the Bible or to other sacred sources from which we derive our understandings of who God is and how God acts and how God wants us to move and live and have our being in this world, if you go to those sources looking for judgment, condemnation, and exclusion, you will find it. You don't even have to look hard. But if you go to those same sources looking for love and grace and mercy, inclusion and forgiveness and welcome and radical hospitality, if you go to those places looking for a special consideration for the poor and the down and out and the oppressed and the marginalized, you will find that throughout all of Scripture. I think I was taught somewhere growing up to look for the former. And somewhere along the way in seminary, I learned to look for the latter. And I never planned to go back. I have decided, and I think that's the key, you have to decide how to hear God's authority on your life. Is God leading you to exclude? Is God leading you to judge? Is God leading you to condemn? Or could it be that God is leading you to offer radical inclusion and hospitality and acceptance? We have a responsibility to a higher law than that of our land. It's God's law. And here's how I read it and understand it. It is a privilege to forgive and to forgive and to forgive again. Peter asked Jesus, how many times we had to forgive? You think seven? That seems like a lot, Jesus. To which Jesus replied, why don't you make that 70 times seven? It is a privilege to take care of the poor. Whenever we feed the hungry and clothe the naked and house the homeless, Jesus said, when we have done these things to the least, least of these, you have done it unto me. It is a privilege to be generous without judgment. If someone takes your coat, give them your cloak as well. If anyone makes you go one mile, go the second mile. If anyone begs, don't refuse them. And yet, I refused a woman in the parking lot of the Home Depot yesterday. That's the law of the land, the survival of the fittest. Refuse her, she may use it for something that's not good for her. Or I can follow God's law. Anyone that begs, don't refuse them. It is a privilege to work for justice for all people. What is fair and right and true and good for everyone, every single one. That's what we work for, what we speak up for, what we fight for until all of God's children have enough. Have enough education, have enough health care, have enough affordable housing, have enough in their paycheck after a hard, hard day's work. The prophet Amos said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I'm sure you could realize that I could go on and on and on with these bullet points, with the privileges that come with obeying God's law. But I love the way Mitzi Smith, the commentator, said it. She talked about, the privilege to, she talked about us 
privileging the voice of God. It is our job to privilege the voice of God. And if you're sitting in this space or if you're listening from afar, I'm just going to go ahead and presume that you have chosen to understand God's law is one of justice, mercy, grace, and inclusion. You've decided to look for those kinds of ways to let your life make a difference by being a person that is just and good and merciful and graceful and inclusive. Obeying that kind of God will be your driving force. Obeying that kind of God will be what propels you to act and to speak. Obeying that kind of God will be what motivates you about how you spend your money and how you use your power and your privilege. Obeying that kind of God will inform how you think. And it won't really matter so much what the politicians do or don't do, or what, how Congress will act or don't act, or how the president will rule our land, because we'll just be so busy over here doing justice ourselves and loving mercy ourselves and walking humbly ourselves that we don't have time to complain and bash quite so much. And instead, we will use our voice and our power and our privilege to influence politicians and Congress and the president to join us in our efforts of justice and inclusion and welcome and love and grace, and mercy, and radical hospitality. Listen to your own rhetoric. Read your own posts. Look at your own actions. By listening to yourself, reading yourself, watching yourself, are you more inclined to believe that you are obeying God or human authority? I've told you before that I just worry about the fact that there's nothing new to say. How many times have I preached this sermon with these illustrations? Maybe it's why pastors tend to stay in one place only about three years or so. After that amount of time, you're clearly just repeating yourself. Really, after one year, you're repeating yourself. The message is so simple, but it is just not easy. I'm going to guess it was about 18 years or so ago that Mac Duncan started telling us, don't stop telling us these things. And he has consistently told us that throughout all of our time in this pulpit. Don't stop telling us these things, he said. This is the only place we hear this. It's not in the news. It's not in the headlines. It's not at work. This is the only place we hear this. You see, human authority is out there looking for self-interests over the interest of others. Human authority is out there defining money and power as success. Human authority is out there dividing us into stratas and hierarchies of worth. Human authority is out there prioritizing a certain body shape and skin color and heteronormative ideals. Human authority is out there leading us astray. And I think that's why Mac keeps coming back here and tuning in because he, like we, need to be reminded about who we understand God to be 
and who God is calling us to be. And I will forever be grateful to Mac for telling us this. It has been a balm for our sometimes weary preaching souls. And it has been a charge that empowers us to keep saying it. This may be the only place you hear this kind of message, which further underscores the need that we cannot keep silent. Not the women, not the men, not the children, not the non-binary, not the queer, not the cisgender, not the gay, not the straight, not the he, not the she, not the they. They cannot keep silent. Not the rich, not the poor, not the black, not the white, not the people of any color, not the educated, not the day laborer, not the young, not the old. No one can keep silent about the God that we claim in this place. But beware. It is a risky business to listen to this God. It will get you yelled at and called an abomination. It will get you ostracized and run out of town. You will lose friends. You will be misunderstood. People will judge you and call you crazy, and they will complain. It might even get you killed. Take the risk anyway. May it be so. Amen.